We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. NBA podcast. It is Thursday, August 6th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. Alex, we're laying this one down middle of the day Thursday. So we're, we're trying to find a gap here before the three o'clock game start. That's Miami and and the undefeated Indiana Pacers against the undefeated Phoenix Suns this afternoon. So a nice midday slate, uh, which unfortunately we won't get to break down on this podcast, but uh, we'll cover it on a later date. And you know, by the time that this hits the airwaves, uh, this is found on your devices, uh, we'll know the result of Pelicans-Kings, but a bizarre, bizarrely uh, positive, I guess, first quarter for the Sacramento Kings, who we, we have on our agenda today to hit on. Uh, it's not been a pleasant start to Orlando play for the Sacramento Kings, but they put up 49 in the first quarter against the New Orleans Pelicans. And yeah, we can use that as somewhat of a jumping off point. I, I don't want to go into breaking down a game that's in progress uh, too much. But the Pelicans defense, you know, even before the Orlando bubble is really what's befallen them 
for for much of this season. And as dynamic as Zion has been, as we record now, he's eight of eight from the field for twenty points. He <laughs> much the help on the defensive end for this team. No, and I I mean I said to you, I don't really understand how how they're this bad. Like I thought they would have been one of, you know, at least an average or one of the better defensive teams in the NBA based on personnel alone with Lonzo Ball, uh, Drew Holiday, and, and Derek Favors all being good defenders. Um, you know, and they had made, I mean, I thought they had made at least some strides once Zion came back. I mean, since January 1st, they have the eighth best defensive rating in the NBA, but that is just not holding up in the bubble at all. It seems like they've kind of fallen back into bad habits. Well, if I remember correctly, that that increase in defensive rating uh, coincided with Derek Favors coming back. So, it, it, you know, it was maybe partially the integration of Zion and how that changed things. But I think getting Derek Favors back, he, he missed extended time, uh, I think, following the death of a parent. Um, and that that really killed them on the defensive end, because at that time they didn't have Zion, who I think we thought would be a lot more impactful on defense. And this is a team that's backup centers are Jalil Okafor, a rookie in Jackson Hayes. And then without Zion, it was basically like, is Nicolo Melli, you know, your third center at that point? And, and obviously you would run into some issues there. But like you said, they, they have on paper probably a top three or four defensive backcourt in the NBA in, in Lonzo and Holiday. And I was listening to the new J.J. Redick podcast this morning, and he had Damian Lillard on as a guest. And without hesitation, when asked who the best defensive guard in the league is, in his opinion, Damian Lillard said Drew Holiday right away. And he went into like a two-minute spiel about how great and versatile of a defender he is. Not to take anything away from Holiday, but, you know, I mean, it, clearly the energy that he's bringing on the defensive end is is not spreading to the rest of these guys. No, and, you know, obviously it, you're going to be playing minus defense when J.J. Reddick's on the court and when Nicola Melli's on the court. And... Yeah, I mean, Frank Jackson's not a good defender either, and he plays a surprising amount for this team. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if it's maybe a scheme thing. I don't know if they get tired because they play such a fast pace up and down the court. But if they want to be, you know, taken seriously, I guess, maybe not as much this season, although we'll kind of get into the playoff race in a bit. You know, if they want to improve and be a legitimate contender moving forward as soon as next season— they kind of have to they have to be able to put together at least like a top 10 defense, I would think. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to be top half of the league in, in in defense, I would think, to to be a legitimate contender. And, you know, the offense has has kind of come and gone for them. And, and I think, like we said on our last pod, I mean, it, if and when Zion plays 30 consecutive games and is finally in the shape that they want him to be in and is in a groove with the rest of these guys, I think that's going to change everything. And we still don't really know how to project that out. It's kind of the ultimate X factor for them, but uh, they still have major question marks to answer, um, you know, certainly at the end of this year and, and even looking ahead to 2021. Uh, it, in terms of the major news for today, uh, this happened on Wednesday, but we got a little more clarity, not a whole lot, but a little more on Ben Simmons injury. Uh, the word subluxation is one that you're going to see quite a bit on your timeline today. Uh, I Googled the word subluxation, looked at a few uh, Google image results, the first three or four, and I'm pretty sure it just means a dislocation of the kneecap, which seems extremely painful. I, I, the only other guy I can think of off the top of my head who has had this recently, I believe, was Patrick Mahomes. And uh, his, like, you could see his kneecap move significantly, whereas Simmons, I mean, I was watching that play, breaking it down like a CIA agent yesterday, and 
it's hard to tell exactly what happens. He, he goes up in traffic, gets a rebound, doesn't appear to recoil at all when he lands, gets to the corner to to throw a, a pass, I believe, into Al Horford. And it, it, it's tough to say if the if the dislocation, which appears to be rather slight, I mean, based on the fact that he didn't look to be in real pain, didn't look to be limping all that much. Um, but, you know, I guess with something as delicate as a kneecap, you move that even a few centimeters. Uh, obviously, it's a major issue. We don't have a timeline on him right away. The Sixers have basically just called him out. Uh, Brett Brown gave kind of a weird press conference on on Thursday morning, not trying to divulge too much information. But uh, in my opinion, he looked very worried. And I, I think the Sixers are are basically just awaiting the results of more tests before we know how long Simmons is going to be out. But I mean, right now, it, it's not looking great. I mean, this we're on a condensed timetable already. And the first round of the playoffs are set to begin in 11 days. And, and you know, the ho- it's certainly possible that Simmons could be back for that. But for a team that already needed as much time as possible, I think, to to gel and, and kind of maybe finally figure things out for the first time all season, this is a pretty major setback, even if this thing turns out to be not as serious as maybe it looks right now. Right. And, you know, Woj tweeted out that the Sixers are considering treatment options, which is like a very vague exactly. term, but also kind of suggests that it's possible he leaves the bubble kind of like Sabonis did Um, at least that's on the table because there's only so much rehab I think you can do within the bubble Uh, but yeah I mean this is this is extremely tough for the Sixers and I think some of the worry is that even if it is a minor dislocation if you uh, come back too quickly it can result in a actual more major dislocation which would obviously be bad and they don't want to push Simmons uh, to come back too early whether it be in the seeding games or earlier in the playoffs, if they don't have to and, and risk mm-hmm. further injury. And like they've, you know, they've been okay without him. I mean, they're, you know, the numbers with Embiid on the court and Simmons off the court, Sixers are plus 12, like per 100 possessions. Like they do fine. I think it's just in those minutes that there's no Embiid and no Simmons, I, I don't know how the Sixers generate any sort of offense. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's just a rough, a rough break for them if he doesn't come back at all. Right. I mean, it's one thing if they never fully figure out how to use those two together, you can at least alternate them and be very successful in both of those arrangements and, and kind of close your eyes and hope for the best when they're on the court together at the end of games. But if there's one of the two that you don't really want to ask to overextend themselves, it's in the past, at least has been Embiid, right? Who, you know, struggled to to kind of make it through that Toronto series in the playoffs last year. And and now if you're asking him to, you know, up his minutes load, up his offensive responsibility, it, I think that that puts even more on his shoulders, which you don't necessarily want to do. And, you know, I, I think even if Simmons misses like only the first round, that's going to get really dicey for them, right? I mean, no Simmons. I think that, you know, I think the three six right now would be Boston and Philly and a fully loaded Philadelphia, Philly healthy Sixers team, I think has the edge over Boston, even though the seating wouldn't suggest that uh, just the matchups and the way that those teams have played each other over the last couple of years. Philly always seems to play well against Boston, but you take Simmons out of the equation and I don't care if you're playing Boston, Miami, Indiana in round one. It, to me, that kind of becomes more of a 50 50 series, if not maybe 60 40 in favor of some of those teams. Yeah. And you're going to have to you know, rely a lot actually on Al Horford playing well. And, you know, because teams are just going to focus so much on stopping Joel Embiid mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they'll let Tobias Harris or Al Horford or who, whoever else beat them 
I mean, it would be tough in the first round if they drew, you know, I mean, if they drew Miami, they have Adebayo on, on Embiid and they have Jimmy Butler probably just shadowing Tobias Harris. And even if they had Indiana, they'd probably have Oladipo shadow like Tobias Harris and, and Miles Turner on, uh, on Embiid, though that'd be a little easier. Yeah, it's just tough for them because it, it makes them a lot easier to guard. It, it exposes their bench for as thin as it is, and it puts a ton of pressure on Al Horford to you know play as well as he did in Boston and potentially have to play with Embiid some minutes, even though you know the, the 76ers were gearing up to try to make that not happen. Uh, right. It may have to happen now. Yeah, we've talked before about how this team was essentially constructed just to beat Milwaukee. And I, I think that still holds true. But I mean, at this point, are they even going to make it that far is is a, a major question. And I think looking ahead, you know, this I, I wouldn't say this was for sure a make or break playoffs for Brett Brown. I think it probably would have been under normal circumstances. But you have the caveat of the season being delayed and, and the chaos that is the Orlando bubble. And now you add this on top of it. Like, let's say Simmons doesn't play the rest of the year and they they lose, you know, 4-1 to Boston in round one. Like, do you really hold that against Brett Brown? Is is this an right. accurate way by which to judge his year as the coach? No, it's tough because this was, you know, it was shaping up to be the year where if everyone was healthy, this was going to be, hey, if we go really far in the playoffs again, if we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, we can probably keep everyone together. We can keep the same thing. Everything is fine. Brown can still be the coach. But if they if everything was in place and they bowed out in round one, uh, then obviously changes would would probably be on the way. And now you get robbed of that. Uh, and it's just really tough to make real evaluations on your roster for a team whose window is like, I want to say right now, because Embiid and Simmons are still young, but it's just like, it, it feels like it's just been chugging along for a long time. Right. And I, I think that window in terms of their flexibility outside of that duo uh, and, right. and including Tobias Harris, I suppose that the window is going to get narrower and narrower as Al Horford gets older and, and ages into that contract, which, you know, as we've as we've spoken about before, doesn't look great uh, as you as you progress through the decade. I want to use the the Simmons topic to to branch off to another discussion. This this dates back something that we've been wanting to hit on uh, for a couple of weeks and just haven't found the time. But I believe it was Mike Schmitz of Draft Express who was talking about this on on a different podcast a few weeks ago, and he he was basically just asking like, how would you rank, you know, just for you personally, whatever criteria you want to use, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. You know, I I think the easiest way is probably, you know, you're starting a team. Which of those guys do you want to build around? So how would you rank those guys one through three? I would put Tatum first. Um, for sure. I think that's that's a lock for me. I think, you know, he's probably the worst like playmaker and ball handler of the three, but his just like his scoring ability, his three and D ability, it's just it it's kind of like he's in the mold of uh, you know, some of the best players in the league. Like he's in the mold of like a Kawhi Leonard or like a Paul George and these guys who can fit in any team and any system. And you know, I between Ingram and Simmons, that's a little harder for me. I I think I want to say Simmons because I, I do really value his two-way ability. And I think he's an excellent defender, you know, one through five. And even though his offense is a little limited, I think he is a really good offensive player if you had a better system around him than, than the 76ers do. And I think he could be just as offensively 
Uh, he could be just as good, if not better, at Ingram, I think, offensively, if he had a team that was built for him. So I think I would rank it Tatum, Simmons, Ingram right now. And I'm a big Ingram fan, but that's that's how I feel about it. So I agree with pretty much everything you said there. And I think that would be my order as well. It, it kind of changed on a week-to-week basis. And I think it's kind of insane that we'd even include Ingram in this conversation. If we had had it like a year ago, I think it would have been very easily Simmons number one. Tatum, two, based mostly on potential. And then Ingram, who was never trending towards bust territory, but but was not in the same conversation as Simmons and probably not even Tatum uh, like six months ago. But I, I think now it's, it's really close. And depending on how you evaluate these guys, you know, if, if you change the criteria to a certain team context, I think that can hurt Simmons because, like you said, he so desperately needs things to be built around him to to succeed. And you know, he can still be a really good kind of minor player uh, in, in some lineups that the Sixers use him. You know, he, he's not the focal point at all times. But there is a case to be made that if you if you kind of gave him the Luka Doncic type of role and, you know, gave him a 36 percent usage rate and just just kind of built the entire roster around him. I think we could see him take an even bigger leap statistically. But I, I think the, the one knock on Simmons is, is the three point shot, obviously. And, you know, that was a knock on Ingram until this year. He's become dramatically better. Same with Tatum. Um, and that that's the one thing that that would give me a little bit of pause as far as um, as far as Simmons versus Ingram uh, specifically. But I don't know. I mean, you, you can't really go wrong with any of these guys. Um, you know, have you been concerned at all that, um, you know, that Ingram has is definitely behind those two on the defensive end? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's concerning as in terms of like who will end up, you know, if we had to assume who's going to be the better player in five years. I think the two way ability, two way ability in the NBA is is really important. Mm-hmm. When you think about the best players in the league, most of the guys who are in the running for MVP are either so elite offensively that it's ridiculous or they're great two way players. And oftentimes it's both. But it's guys like Giannis. It's guys like uh, LeBron, obviously, who's incredible offensively. Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, who's more offensively tilted, but then guys like Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, and I don't think Ingram is there yet offensively, and I'm not sure he'll ever turn into, you know, the kind of like 30-point-per-game scorer that Tatum could turn into. Um, I think, you know, I think think Tatum and Simmons could potentially be – number one options on a title team moving forward. I would say Tatum has the best chance of being that. Uh, And then Simmons and Ingram after that as guys who I feel like are more likely to be maybe number twos. Uh, But yeah, I could, I could still see Ingram settling into a role as like a number three somewhere at some point in his career. uh, While I cannot even imagine that for Tatum or or Simmons at all. If Ingram's your number three, you're doing really well. I mean, if you have two guys that are definitively better than him, uh, you're, you're in a great situation. But yeah, I mean, this is a fun debate. Uh, maybe we'll throw one of these out like weekly on one of our episodes. Just pick three guys um, and have to rank them one through three. Doesn't always have to be good players, too. We could do like, a, <laughs> you know, how do you rank uh, Jay Crowder, Myers Leonard, and Ursan Ilyasova? Uh, that's that's a great question. I I. I think I have an answer for that off the top of your head. No, not not right off the top of my head. No. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by PropSwap. The smart sports better knows where to find the best odds before placing a bet. 
And that is why smart sports bettors use PropSwap. It's America's marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Just last week, a customer bought a Miami Heat to win it all ticket at the odds of 42 to 1. FanDuel right now has the Heat at 25 to 1. PropSwap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like, but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price on PropSwap, and then you go ahead and buy it. You can check out PropSwap via the PropSwap app, available wherever you get your apps, as well as by going to PropSwap.com. They offer all the major pro sports, college basketball, college football. Check it out. By far the best place to find the best prices. PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Uh, another, uh, a little more minor news, Aaron Gordon out. Uh, I believe the terminology used by the the Magic was several days, uh, which could extend through the end of seeding games, which wrap up very quickly with every team basically playing every other day uh, for these last two weeks. Uh, obviously, this team already lost Jonathan Isaac. There's not a whole lot going on there anyway, uh, but it, it's going to be a pretty tough watch for at least the next four or five games, you'd think, without Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I think God hates the Orlando Magic. Like, they just... they well, no- <laughs> See, I, I, I'm with you on that, but then you have the Jonathan Isaac like being a huge God guy thing hanging uh, out. So like, like, has he, has he, is he too much of a God guy? Um, that's a really, that's a really interesting question. I'll have to get back to you on that after okay. I, I ponder it for a bit. Uh, yeah, another, uh, just another, uh, another tough blow for the magic. I, you know, I think they, oh man, I don't even, I, I don't know what they do now, honestly. Like who do you give, is it just more Nikola Vucevic? Is it, do we just give the ball to Markel Fultz even more? Is it Terrence Ross 25 shot? It's ter- is Terrence Ross going to become the new TJ Warren? Like, so, <laughs> yes, I mean, they're still going to make the Ross. playoffs. I hope he does, because I, I would love to see a team that allows Terrence Ross to take 20 to 25 shots a game. Mm-hmm. They're still going to make the playoffs, and as long as Aaron Gordon is healthy for that, then ultimately this doesn't mean a ton for them as much as it sucks in the immediate future yeah i mean it's it's the magic at the end of the day so just really not that big of a deal for a team that's almost certainly going to lose in round one anyway do you remember nick vucevic playing for the 76ers i mean this happened yeah it's on his basketball reference page like that seems like it was 45 years ago i do because he was in the <laughs> he was in the bynum trade right uh oof. yeah very, i mean yes i think okay he, he was definitely an a trade Oh man, I, this is the one of the longest trades I've ever seen on Basketball Reference. Oh man, well he was drafted by the Sixers. Okay. He was involved in a an Aaron Aflalo trade, it appears. Interesting. Um, yes, Andrew Bynum was involved in said trade. Okay. okay. Josh McRoberts <laughs> as well, Christian Ayenga, Earl Clark. Uh, it was also the trade that sent Iguodala to the Nuggets. Okay, that's we'll call it probably the Iguodala trade, not the Ayanga trade. <laughs> I think that's more appropriate. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the Lakers on Tuesday night. They have since played their worst game yet on Wednesday uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, a game that, in retrospect, I, I was looking at it yesterday, looking at some of the betting angles. Like I should have just bet my entire investment account on on OKC. That was that was just not a game that made any sense for the Lakers to throw most of their regulars out there for you know two days after clinching the number one seed 
kind of an obvious trap game type of spot for them. But right. once we found out that the whole lineup was going to play, you'd think you would get a little bit of a better effort. But five of 37 from beyond the arc were the Lakers, 31 of 88 from the field. They shot 65% at the line. Uh, really no bright spots whatsoever in, in this game. Um, LeBron James has been pretty horrific uh, overall through all four of these seeding games for the Lakers. Uh, obviously, he's had some bright spots, especially on the defensive end, but he has not looked at all like the LeBron we saw back in March when he was kind of making a charge uh, for the MVP. He looked great in scrimmages, but he's just looked... I mean, I've, I've watched pretty much every minute of these Lakers games, and he he just does not look like the same guy. And he's, he's sitting out on Thursday against the Rockets with a groin injury. You have to wonder if maybe that's been hampering him, but he's, he's looked a step slow. He's looked disengaged. Uh, I, I thought in a couple of these games, he's just... His ball handling hasn't been there. The decision-making hasn't been there. He was, like, plowing over guys in transition, like, just didn't seem to be thinking the game at the normal level that you're used to from LeBron James. And uh, another terrible performance from Anthony Davis, too, who's alternated, like, God-level performances with his worst games of the year <laughs> through these first four games. So it, not not time to panic by any means for the number one seed in the West, but I think you'd like to see a little more consistency, especially shooting the ball from a team that that's been a concern for them all year. Yeah. I mean, LeBron, like you mentioned right now, he's shooting 46, 27, 65 are his splits, only six assists in his 33 minutes. So mm-hmm. he's not playing up to his own standards, though, obviously he's still playing well. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, some of this, I think has just been the Lakers being unlucky shooting the ball. Yeah. Um, Cause this is only, you know, this is such a small sample as of right now, they have the third highest, uh, location effective field goal percentage, which is like what you would be expected to shoot given the shots that you take uh, on the floor. That's compared to the worst actual effective field goal percentage. They're shooting 26% from three. They're shooting also 26% from the mid range. You're just not going, there's no way to be a good basketball team when that's happening. So I think some of this is going to, you know, kind of regress or progress to the mean, however you want to put it uh, eventually. And this is a team that like, they're still working new guys in, you know, they're right. still working in Dion waiters. They're still trying to find a way for Kuzma to play 30 minutes a game and, and stuff like that. So I'm not too worried about them, but at the same time, like having the sixth worst point differential in the bubble is not great. No, it is not great. And the shooting has been an issue. I mean, they really bottomed out on Wednesday, but they've shot poorly in all four of their games so far as a team uh, with Davis, you know, it was kind of the only reason that they've won a couple of those games. I mean, the bench on Wednesday was two of 19 from three. So I, I think, you know, I, w- I would bet on LeBron being fine in the playoffs. I'd bet on Davis being fine in the playoffs. But the, that was never the question for the Lakers. Like the question that's followed them all year and has, you know, risen to another level with no Avery Bradley and no Rondo is when those guys are off the court or when those guys are not shooting the ball and someone else is shooting it, is, is it going to go in? Because none of these guys are proven whatsoever and so far the answer has been a resounding no um you know none, i don't think any of the the question marks you know danny green kyle kuzma uh, um Deion waiters alex caruso like all those guys have been pretty bad so far and i, I think that's a a discouraging sign for the lakers but um at, at, like we said on tuesday's show like other than phoenix and indiana i guess like every other team has had their had their bumps as well i mean the clippers lost to the suns they obviously lost to the lakers in the opener, they still don't have Montrez Harrell back. We don't know when he's going to be back. So even though the Lakers haven't looked great, a lot of the teams that they're competing with, you know, Milwaukee's in that category too, 
a lot of those teams haven't looked stellar either. Yeah, I mean, Clippers had a bad loss, but they still have the best point differential in the yeah. bubble, which is surprising. But, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, Milwaukee is is down there as well. Like, they're looking, you know, average. Philly, not looking particularly good. Um, you know, and some of this is, you know, like you mentioned, some teams just are, are some teams are hot, some teams are cold right now. Like, Orlando has the best offense in the bubble. Indiana's second best offense in the bubble. Like, that is going to crash very hard at some point. So, I think we, if they're still playing like this game seven and game eight, Mm -hmm. then I would begin to feel concerned. Uh, But until then, I'm okay kind of just not making any hard opinions about any of these contending teams. I think for me, it'll be the playoffs. I I don't, I don't know, especially with the Lakers having everything locked up and, you know, they're probably going to be a a weird rest schedule uh, the rest of the way. I I don't know if we can judge the seeding games, but if we get to round one and they're playing Portland or San Antonio or New Orleans or Phoenix, whoever it is, and you know, they're struggling to win games and they're they're not, you know, winning by double digits, like most one, eight matchups, you know, would imply. And, you know, I mean, if it's Portland, maybe that's not the case, but I I think that's where you can really start to, to sound the alarm bells because like you mentioned with the Clippers, they lost at the buzzer to Phoenix. They lost at the buzzer to the Lakers. Those, those certainly count as losses, but in between that, they they were up like 45 on the Pelicans. You know, they they still showed that when things are going right for them, they're an absolute juggernaut. And that's kind of been one of my criticisms, I guess, of the Lakers is they they don't seem to have that like, you know, unbelievable gear where, you know, they'll just stomp on an opponent. Like even even some of the lesser opponents that they that they were beating on their way to to 51 wins. A lot of those games were close. They let teams hang around. And credit to them for, like the Clippers game, you know, locking down when they have to, closing out efficiently when they have to. But I think they're in those situations a little bit more than they probably should be. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies fell to 0-4 in Orlando yesterday. Dating back to March, they've lost five or six in a row, I believe. And the wheels are, I think, kind of starting to come off, uh, especially with Jaron Jackson going out earlier this week. It was a hard-fought game against the Jazz. John Moran was really good in the first half, but the Grizzlies, you can't really blame them. I mean, when you look at who they're now resorting to outside of Morant, it's a lot of Dylan Brooks, way too much Dylan Brooks. It's, you know, Grayson Allen had 20 off the bench, but, I mean, those guys are their legitimate, like, second and third scorers right now because you can't ask too much of guys like Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson. You know, Valanciunas can score, but not in the ways that you necessarily like. They... They're just kind of running out of options, and I, I don't see that changing over the next week. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, Grayson Allen has been a legitimate offensive option for them, which is, uh, that's like you mentioned, that's a sign of <laughs> where they're at. And at, as of this point, Portland, who plays today, is only one game behind the Grizzlies. Uh, San Antonio and New Orleans are only two games behind, and Phoenix is creeping up. They're two and a half games behind uh, the Grizzlies. And so all those three teams are all going to be trying to, I mean, it's, they're really jockeying for position at this point. Cause they have a lot of guys playing well. Also Nurkic has been incredible. He's mm-hmm. averaging 22, 12, four, three, and two. Um, Lillard's been great. Also DeRozan, Derek white. I mean, like all these guys have been playing well. So yeah, I mean, the Grizzlies are, they're, they're hanging in a lot of these games and they're looking competitive. Like you mentioned against the jazz, it was a, surprising to see um but it's just I, I think when push comes to shove especially late game their options just are not 
not ready for it. No, and there's a chance that depending on what happens, uh, you know, below them, that they could still find themselves in a play-in situation. But I would not bet on that right now. I think Portland is now firmly in the driver's seat, right? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think with Nurkic coming back, I, I thought you know best case scenario is like he looks like 75% of who he was. You know, when you're when you're off for that long, I mean, almost coming up on like two years, uh, he's come back looking looking like the guy from March of 2019. And that's been huge for them. And I mean, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about like, well, actually, I mean, Terry Stotts himself had said, you know, we might start Whiteside and Nurkic together. Like Whiteside's just a complete afterthought at this point. Um, I mean, a first round fantasy value for most of the year was basically giving them 15 and 15 every single night with a few blocks. And they're playing them like 15 minutes off the bench now. It's been all Nurkic. Yeah, that was that was surprising to see him like he's just like you said falling into like a legitimate bench role and they haven't really experimented that much during these games with him and Nurkic together it sounded like they wanted to do that but they're just not uh, and Collins has has been solid as well but I mean with the way Nurkic is playing and with how effective he is with Lillard there's almost no justification for giving Whiteside more minutes uh, than he has been getting even though you could argue he earned it during the regular season it's just not what's best for them right now yeah he seems plenty fine with that i only follow two celebrities on snapchat hassan whiteside and two chains and hassan whiteside spent most of last night complaining about his internet speed because he was trying to download a call of duty update oh yeah that's a big update yeah yeah um so yeah i think portland it's certainly in the driver's seat to get the eight uh, based on one positioning. They're the team that's only one game behind Memphis. There's a one game cushion right now between Portland and the Spurs and the, and the Pelicans. Suns are, are right there. I mean, I would love to see the Suns make a run. I think like a, a Portland Phoenix uh, two like two game play in for the eight would probably be the best case right now, as, especially with Zion being limited. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, Zion... Zion's limited, but he's, I mean, he's playing well today, you know, by all means. Okay, true. But uh, again, this game is still ongoing as we record. They, the, the Pelicans are currently down by 17 with five and a half minutes left in the fourth. And the Kings have 134 points. <laughs> like, the, I, I mean, as much, I like watching the Pelicans. I like a lot of their individual pieces. They have done nothing to deserve that spot right now. No. Like, I, I think Phoenix is the team that's kind of earned it as, as of like halfway through these seeding games. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I thought New Orleans could end up having like one of the best records in the, you know, in the bubble. But they, like we mentioned earlier, they've reverted back to I, whatever they're doing on defense, like giving up 140 to the to the Kings. It's it's unbelievable. And yeah, out of the group, you know, the the Suns, honestly, the Suns and the Trailblazers look <laughs> look the best. Although I yeah. don't know, man, San Antonio's look great without Aldridge. Like they're getting real stuff out of. Keldon Johnson, Rudy Gay's averaging 20 a game. It's this, this race for the eighth is as advertised, if not better. I think we've even written a couple Quindary Witherspoon notes for the site. Uh, you know, it's a great day at, at rotowire.com when we fire up the Quindary Witherspoon notes. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask on Tuesday's pod and we ran out of time. Um, and part of it was because there's just better storylines with some of these other teams competing for that eight. But I mean, was this just a classic, like sleeping on on a Greg Popovich team when they're down LaMarcus Aldridge, down Trey Lyles, 
playing Drew Eubanks 25 minutes a night. Um, I mean, of course, we kind of should have seen this coming, right? Uh, yeah, now that you mention it, I mean, it seems like the perfect time to like <laughs> buy low on on the Spurs, right? And buy yeah. low on, on Popovich. And, uh, you know, the numbers said they'd be better without Aldridge, but that's one of those things where it's hard to believe it's actually true. But now it's looking like that might be the case. Well, even since he's been there, like the, the type of player that he is, you know, he's he's from that 2004 to 2011 type of era where he like he would never really was a great fit for the Spurs. You know, when they had him and I think that him and Kawhi overlapped for like one or two years. But even even then, it was like, OK, like, yeah, we, it was a good signing by the Spurs. You know, you're getting arguably the best free agent available in that class. But nothing about LaMarcus Aldridge's career in Portland ever screamed like this guy would be a great spur. You know, he's not a great passer. He's not an outside shooter. Um, so I think there's maybe a case to be made that not having him allows them to play the more classic Spurs style. I mean, I think what what fits him with the Spurs the most is his mid-range jump shooting, right? His obsession with the 20-footer. Mm-hmm. Right. Other than that, yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I don't have any other notes on Phoenix. I, I hope they can keep us up. We got, you know, that that Pacers Sun showdown today should actually be a lot of fun. Uh, you had a note on TJ Warren, who uh, is somehow averaging 3.3 assists per game uh, to go with his 39.7 points per game. Uh, not a guy who's ever really been known for his passing. No, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable to see Warren getting his teammates involved uh, like this. It's just, you know, throughout his career, he just hasn't been that guy. No, not at all. And we we hit on that plenty on Tuesday, but it <laughs> it's it's honestly baffling. I mean, it, I, I guess some of the scoring had been there. You know, he had he had gone on some scoring binges on those terrible Suns teams, but. I mean, to be doing it at, at that level of efficiency and, and with the increase in three-pointers, um, I, I think to me that's probably the, the most uh, most impressive part of this whole thing is, is the efficiency. Uh, I was looking on Hoopsype earlier today, and they did a fairly small sample, admittedly, uh, but a, a straw poll nonetheless, um, polling 18 people who hold end-of-season awards votes. And I, I don't know off the top of my head how many voters there are. There are a lot more than 18. I can tell you that. I think it's over 100. But uh, of the 18 respondents, um, you know, they asked for for MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All-NBA, um, and, and a few other um, just end-of-season things. And Giannis was the resounding winner for MVP, unsurprisingly. Uh, and maybe a little more surprisingly, the resounding winner for Defensive Player of the Year. So, you know, usually with things like this, where there's smoke, there's fire, even if it's a small sample, uh, you can kind of you know, kind of average it out, I guess, um, you know, to to a larger sample. And I think right now, I mean, the odds have backed this up for for several months. I think we're going to get our third time in history that one player wins MVP and and DPOY in the same year. Yeah, it seems like it, and it would be it would be justified. It it doesn't feel like a reach, and in, in you know, for either one of those awards, um, you know, everybody is talking about the LeBron James late season push, but I don't think that was ever real as much as people wanted it to be real. And, you know, Defensive Player of the Year, I could kind of still see Gobert swooping in late. You know, I, I think Anthony Davis is a better defender than the numbers indicate this season. But, uh, yeah, I think I, I think it is going to happen for Giannis. And it makes sense. I mean, given, you know, it, the numbers back it up, the Bucks are the best team in the NBA record-wise. Uh, in terms of, like, the resume, 
he is very much there to deserve both awards. I, I think for Defensive Player of the Year specifically, uh, there's going to be some vote splitting behind Giannis. Like if, if you're somebody that that doesn't think it's Giannis, I, I don't think there's a clear number two. And I think that's what really helps his case. Um, in terms of the odds, Anthony Davis has been either number one or number two to win that award all year. And according to this poll, he came in third behind Gobert. So I, I think if you're not voting for Giannis, you're probably voting for Gobert or Davis. And and that's going to further split the vote and, and probably result in a, a fairly landslide victory for Giannis. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, John Morant was the the unanimous winner of Rookie of the Year. I think that's going to be that's going to go without saying. Uh, we'll we'll save for a future pod our All NBA picks uh, that I think we need to actually finalize now that we know that these seeding games won't count for any of that. But um, I, I think there's going to be close to a consensus for most of the first team with Giannis, LeBron, Harden. I think those guys are virtually locked in. I, I think some people will will kind of play around with Davis's position, and if if you view him as a forward, which I guess is technically where he starts games with Javale at center, uh, you know, you can't put Giannis over, or you can't put Davis, excuse me, over Giannis or LeBron. So maybe in that case, that would bump him to second team. But if you're going to rightfully and correctly put him at center, I think he's he's easily the first team center. Uh, the 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 one spot that's a little bit up for grabs to me would be that second guard spot. I think I would go with Luka Doncic. That's who who came away the the recipient in the straw poll. But I, there's a case for Damian Lillard, and I think there's also a case if you want to put LeBron at guard because he did play point guard at least on offense for most of the year. I think you could do that over Doncic, and then you could put Kawhi at that other forward spot. Yeah, there's a, there's a few ways to work it. I mean, personally, I would still put Lillard over Doncic. Um, you know, I sure. know Doncic is box score numbers have been better but i think lillard's efficiency is is better and i i don't know like i i feel like if you you know replaced either guy like i feel like you could have put lillard on the mavericks and they would have had a, a comparable season sure. um i i still think right now he's better than Doncic. but yeah i mean you can there there are plenty of ways to to slice it and i think i mean butler you know jimmy butler deserves a spot chris paul is going to be you know i i think he could vary on a lot of people's ballots between second and third team. Um, you know, I, there are Ben Simmons, whether you consider him a guard or a forward. Mm. So I think, I think there'll be a, like an interesting uh, combination of, of all NBA this year. Yeah. And I'm all for the positional versatility, honestly. I mean, I, I, the NBA has obviously been very hesitant to just go to like a no position thing. If, if first team is four point guards and a forward, so be it. I, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but they at least seem to be giving guys the benefit of the doubt. You know, if, if it could kind of go either way, it seems like they're letting that happen, uh, which is good to see. I do want to talk a little bit more about the Sacramento Kings. And this is a point that I added to our to our agenda before today's game. The Kings are going to win. They're up 16 with a minute left. Uh, but the way that this all played out actually works really well for this point. Can the Kings please trade Buddy Heald? Literally anywhere. I don't care where it is. Uh, this is a game today that they're probably going to win by 20 points. Buddy Heald has played 11 minutes off the bench and has three <laughs> points on five shots. He is miserable. He's been miserable. I, I think he's actually really good in the right system. And I know you, you took down a couple teams that could maybe use him. He's starting a new extension next year. So you know, maybe some hesitancy to take on that money. But it's also not a a max extension, you know, it's a contract that if he's playing well, could end up looking pretty good. Where would you want to see Buddy Heald end up? I think it would be really fun if we could somehow get him on the Atlanta Hawks. 
I don't know how that happens. I don't know if you'd have to include different, like if, if you try to move John Collins in that, obviously you don't want to. I don't know if the Kings would like just want to take, you know, would the Kings just take Hunter, Reddish, and Herder? Uh, so I, I just think that would be the most fun. I mean, they, you know, they, him and Trey Young would be launching like 23s a game themselves. Right. Uh, Two Oklahoma guys. That, right. that would be it. I love that. That's a great, I, the, I don't know what the trade would be though. I don't think, Atlanta's not giving up two lottery picks from last year plus Herder. Yeah, I think maybe you could get one of Hunter and Reddish, but like you also have to remember that healed stock is like as low as it could possibly be right now. Like I, I think they probably want to see Reddish, especially given how reasonably well he played before the shutdown. I, I don't think they'd give up on him, but like even like a Herder and like a protected pick straight up for healed would be really interesting. I agree, and I think uh, you know I think it'd be fun to get him to Denver somehow to just like replace Ooh. Gary Harris. Uh, and have him just make easy jumpers against, you know, from uh, Nikola Jokic passes. And I think getting him on Dallas would also be yes. fun. Uh, Dallas, I love. Yeah, Dallas with, with Doncic, kind of have him replace, not replace Tim Hardaway Jr. minutes, but kind of like replace those like Seth Curry, J.J. Barea, like DeLon Wright sort of minutes. Um, I think just make him the new Hardaway. I, I think Hardaway is going to opt in. He has a, a huge number for next year, but... I think he's off the books uh, after next season. I mean, if you could go Doncic, Seth Curry, Buddy Heald, Dwight Powell, Kristaps Porzingis, I think that's a great four to put around Doncic. I agree. Yeah, I just uh, I don't know what the trade would be. Again, like how you know they don't have like a ton of young guys to to trade. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they would trade. Like I don't think they would trade Dwight Powell for him. I'm not sure the Kings would even take that. So, but I think those are the three teams that initially. Uh, came to mind when I thought of, yeah. you know, I, what I thought would be the most fun. Well, what you have to keep in mind is, and this is to the benefit of the other 29 teams, you're trading with the Kings. So you don't necessarily have to make it, make it a deal that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> you just have to match the salaries and make sure that the league office signs off on it. True. Uh, I think, I think the Lakers would be a really interesting fit for him. I, I don't know how they would make that work. Uh, there would have to be some, some maneuvering, but if you could essentially like swap out Kuzma, who the Kings we know had interest in this past summer, if you could swap out Kuzma for Buddy Heald, that would be awesome. I, I think that would actually be probably a decent deal for both teams. Uh, I mean, a guy who is a volume, you know, high efficiency, high volume three point shooter, you could basically throw him on any team and it would make sense. But like Memphis, I think could really use him. Basically, a huge upgrade over Dylan Brooks. <laughs> uh, yeah, an upgrade over over Dylan Brooks would. Would be nice. Yeah. He loves to follow people and then complain about it. Uh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think with Heald, the, the key would be finding like a similarly disgruntled veteran, you know, who, yeah, it's kind of like a my problem for your problem type of player. I think that's probably the ideal type of trade. I think so, too. I always forget that Heald is t- like 27. Well, because he used to be 26. Yeah. He jumped uh, two years in one year. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. And he, had, I believe he played all four years at Oklahoma, played at least three. So, yeah, I mean, for a guy who is part of the exact, the same draft class as Simmons and Ingram, he's he's a, f- a few years older. Uh, in other Kings news, this is uh, kind of separate, but have you watched any Kings games? Like, why did De'Aaron Fox cut his hair? Why? Oh, man. It looks it, terrible. It looks so bad. The shaved head with, like, the white-sleeved undershirt is just a yeah. bad look, man. Like... I, maybe with the exception of Anthony Davis, but who knows what comes to playoffs? Like, it, I think if your best player is wearing a shirt under his jersey, that is a horrible sign. 
first of all. And that's aside so, from the hair. I don't necessarily agree with that. I and this harkens back, I think, to my college basketball fandom, where like a lot of really cool players wore huge shirts <laughs> under their jerseys. I wish the NBA would allow like the tall T, you know, six XL Delonte West shirt under the jersey. Um, but if, if you're going to wear it, I think it I think it looks cool if it's the same color as the jersey. And like you said, in today's game, the Kings went black jerseys, black shorts, white accessories. And the Bucks do this all the time, too. Whenever they wear their black jerseys, they always wear white accessories. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't know if the NBA mandates that, but um, it, it always seems like that for Davis, too. Right? Like the shirt, the undershirt is never matching the jersey. Right. It's all, I think it's always white for him, almost. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I no, I I support the the giant T-shirt under the jersey, okay. and Good. but I think like just like the tight undershirt, it, it's just it's, I don't think it's the right vibe. I mean, how many great, how many MVPs, how many people have won MVP with a with a shirt under their jersey? I mean, um, I don't think any. I mean, that's a relatively new thing, right? I, I think you used to have you used to have to have like a a major shoulder injury, right? Like Davis is kind of one of the first guys who whoever wore one because he had those shoulder issues early on now it seems like you if you just kind of if you just ask they'll give you one uh last thing that i have on the agenda the the 18 bubble like the the alternate bubble that we heard a bunch about back in early july is seeming less and less likely there has been really no movement from from all accounts on getting that organized i know there was initial talk of having it being hosted in chicago and at the time, uh, there was still a lot of hope that coronavirus cases would be on the decline. Obviously, that has not been the case in the two months since. But um, it just seems like that's not going to happen really at all. And, and there's an interesting piece. I'd, I'd, I'm struggling to find it right now. But uh, Bob Myers from the, the Golden State Warriors was was cited in it. And he basically was like, yeah, we're good. You know, like we, we'd rather just, we'd rather just focus on our own development. You know, they have, they have guys rehabbing that they want to get back. They, they want to kind of do their in-house stuff, but most of the other teams seem to feel the other way where they're watching, even though Memphis is 0-4, uh, you know, even though the Kings are struggling, that they're seeing these other young teams get real game action. And I, I think there's maybe some surprise to how good the games have been. And it, you know, even if, even if these teams, mostly teams are going to leave Orlando having only played eight games, um, that's still like the equivalent of a full summer league, you know, that they're these other eight teams aren't getting. And I think on top of that, when you start to look ahead to the 2020, 21 season, that's set to start in November. I mean, a lot of those teams are going to go probably a full seven to eight months without any true game action. Uh, and then the last point is that a lot of these cities that these teams are located in still have pretty heavy restrictions. Like I think it was the Hawks. Uh, had noted that they're still limited to like one-on-one workouts. They're not even allowed to play three-on-three or five-on-five because of capacity restrictions and distancing requirements within their building. So not only are other teams getting scrimmages and practices and games, these other teams can't even scrimmage on their own. Right. Yeah, it's a, that's really tough. I don't know what the NBA can do. I mean, it's they're probably just going to go on like a month-by-month basis with this sort of a thing. I don't know. Maybe they'll offer... Yeah, maybe by the time next season comes around, they'll do like an extended preseason for those eight teams that didn't make the bubble. Like they play an extra five or six preseason games or maybe eight preseason games or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Then those then the teams that just played now might think that's unfair if they yeah. weren't able to play in those. So I, I don't know what they do. And like, I mean, I would watch these games and I think they'd be fun because a lot of these bad teams are like at least interesting 
right? Like Towns and D'Angelo Russell are interesting. The the Hawks with Capella are interesting. Um, you know, seeing Kevin Knox lose his job is interesting. Like I, so I, I don't know what they'll, I don't know what they'll end up doing. I think it's, I, as of right now, I would say it's more than likely that nothing happens and we just start eventually next season without these teams getting any sort of like bubble. I agree. I think the likely course of action is just the NBA looking those teams in the eye and saying, we are very, very sorry and leaving <laughs> it at that, which I think, I mean, it's fine. It, it sucks if you're the Bulls or the Pistons or the Hawks or whoever, but I mean, what's, what was the alternative? I guess the alternative was this bubble that, you know, it's just, it's just not feasible, you know, like with the way that I think if the, if the, if cases had cleared up over the last month and we were kind of starting to finally see the light at the end of the tunnel and the, the NBA was still dragging their feet on this, then it would be different. But it, it's I mean, the NBA is putting all of its resources into making the real bubble work. And I, I, to me, it's it's pretty understandable to not necessarily need to focus on a second bubble. I agree. All right. Do you have any closing points here? I do not. Do you, you do not? OK. Uh, I, I don't really either. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of have to leave this one with a whimper, I guess. Uh, the Kings did get to 140 points, by the way. 140-125 is the final. Uh, so one win on the board for Sacramento. Another loss for New Orleans, which I think is now one and three. Is that right? Uh, I think. I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. Man, uh, not great. Not great. So with that loss, New Orleans now has the exact same record as Phoenix, which is about to tip off uh, as we finish this up. So uh, by the time you hear this, there's a pretty good chance that the Phoenix Suns uh, could be in front of the New Orleans Pelicans. So things have not gone well for the Pels. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.